Hello and welcome to What the Heck, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. Every week we look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, and then look at the theory surrounding it. I'm your host, Glenn, and I can't give you the answers to these unexplained things, because I don't know what they are. I'm just here to give you the information to decide for yourself. All research is done as academically as I can, and references are given at the end of the episode. This is the opening week of season three. We're looking at a big topic this time. These episodes are all unexplained phenomena. For opening week of season three, we're looking at demonic possession. This is the final case study for the week. Hopefully, with everything we've looked at during the week, we're in a much better position to decide whether or not possession is real. But don't decide just yet. There's one more story to hear. These episodes come with a warning. I will be looking at some pretty gruesome stuff and mistreatment of people who may have been ill. If that's not something you want, skip these episodes. Today, we're looking at Annalise Michelle. Anyone who's seen the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose knows this story. However, the film skirts around a lot of the more awful issues in this story. I'll go into detail with this one, because it's one of the most infamous examples of exorcism in the modern world. If that's not for you, skip this episode. Annalise Michel grew up in Bavaria, West Germany, in the 1960s. She was a devout Catholic and attended Mass twice a week. However, life wasn't always good. Her mother believed that the family was under a cloak of shame that they had to atone for. Annalise's father sought to become a priest and three of her aunts were already nuns. The family lived in a time of austerity were not allowed to play with other children and spent a lot of time inside praying. Annalise was sick often. She battled measles, mumps and scarlet fever when she was young. Much later, in 2005, Annalise's mother confessed to having a child out of wedlock in 1948, which was why the family had the cloak of shame. They made her wear black on her wedding day to signify her sin and afterwards, she worked hard to atone for her sins, practicing extreme purity. This pressured Annalise to atone for the sins of others regularly, even sleeping on the floor as penance for the drug addicts who did the same sometimes. Around her 16th birthday, she blacked out at school, walking around dazed. She didn't remember the events, but her friends and family said that she was in a trance-like state. She had been diagnosed already with physical and psychological disorders, but nothing was done. She woke later that evening and said that it felt like something was pressing down on her. She was unable to move, breathe or speak and lost control of her bladder. The experience frightened her, but she put it out of her mind. A year later, it happened again. She woke up in a trance and wet the bed. She also suffered a series of convulsions that caused her to shake uncontrollably. She visited a neurologist afterwards. She was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, which causes seizures 
loss of memory and visual and auditory hallucinations. It can also cause Geschwind syndrome, something that is marked by intense religious beliefs. Annalise also claimed to experience olfactory hallucinations called phantosmia. She would smell horrible things that others couldn't. It often appeared as the smell of burning and faecal matter, but evolved to the point where others could smell it, leading to the belief that Annalise was the source of the smell. This smell wasn't always present though, and there are accounts of people who didn't smell it. Two priests, Father Hagaber and Father Herman, never smelled it. Her boyfriend, who she had confessed to being intimate with, also had no idea about the smell surrounding Annalise. One hypothesis for the smell is that stress caused her to create more adrenaline, making her body odour worse. But this wouldn't make much sense because body odour doesn't usually smell the way hers is described. It was around this time that she believed she was possessed by a demon. The smell she exuded only seemed to appear during times where she felt she was being attacked by her possession. She had enrolled in university in 1973 after taking medication for her epilepsy. As her first year progressed though, the medication seemed to stop working. She began to believe it was the demon's fault and she needed to find a solution that wasn't medical. She began to see the devil's face everywhere and heard demons whispering in her ears. When she heard demons telling her she was damned and would go to hell while she was praying, she concluded that she was possessed by the devil. She sought the aid of priests, but everyone she approached told her she needed to seek medical help. They also told her that in order to help, they would need the permission of a bishop. She went on a pilgrimage to a shrine in San Damiano in Italy, where her behavior really shifted. She gained an aversion to sacred objects and was unable to even enter the shrine. She said that the soil burned to her like fire and she couldn't bear it. She even had to avert her gaze from a painting of Jesus inside the chapel house. She found that she was unable to even look at medals or paintings of saints because they sparkled so intensely for her that she couldn't bear it. Once home, her behaviour became extreme. She would rip all her clothes off, compulsively perform 400 squats a day, and crawled under a table and barked like a dog for two days. She also refused to eat food, saying that the demons wouldn't let her, but she was seen eating spiders, flies and coal from the fireplace, in addition to licking her own urine from the floor. She slept for one or two hours a night, spending the rest of the night running through the house or even in prayer, screaming for mercy from Jesus. The squats changed to genuflection, where she would throw herself to her knees so often that her knees swelled up. Her mother had been searching for religious help and eventually found a priest. Ernst Alt to look at her. He believed she was possessed. He was noted saying that her symptoms and behaviour didn't line up with her epilepsy di diagnosis. Annalise even wrote to Ernst Alt saying that she was nothing, everything about her was vanity and asking what she should do because she had to improve. She also told him that she wanted to suffer for the people but her torment was too much. Alt brought in 
a leading authority on exorcism and demonic possession, Father Adolf Rodvik, to assess the situation. Father Rodvik agreed with Father Alt and petitioned to the local bishop, Bishop Stengel, to allow an exorcism. He eventually agreed to it and sent a priest named Arnold Renz to perform the ritual. He ordered that it be carried out in secret. Alt and Renz would follow his instruction, conducting a ritual that was considered rare at the time. Over 10 months, fathers Alt and Renz conducted 67 exorcisms on Annalise, each lasting up to four hours. During these exorcisms, she revealed that she believed she was possessed by six demons. She said that she held within her Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Adolf Hitler, Emperor Nero and a disgraced priest named Fleischmann. Each one fought for power over Annalise's body, communicating through her in a low growl. It's noted that none of these demons spoke in their native tongue, even though Annalise was familiar with these languages through her schooling. At one point, Father Renz asked a question in Chinese and got the response, if you want to ask something, ask it in German, but I did understand that. Some of these were recorded, and the recordings are available on YouTube if you wish to hear them. To make matters worse, the demons refused to work together, bickering amongst each other and insulting each other through Annalise. Whenever she was able to speak for herself, Annalise would frequently talk about her death as an atonement for other wayward youths and apostate priests of the modern church. She continued her genuflections when she wasn't being exercised, which caused her to rip the tendons in her knees and break her kneecaps from the force of throwing herself to the ground constantly. Over the course of the 10 months, Annalise was often restrained during the exorcisms so the priests could perform the rites undisturbed. Sometimes the demons would interrupt, showing interest in the changes to the Catholic Church following the Second Vatican Council in 1965 which I briefly touched upon at the beginning of the week. She spoke about the lack of people praying, how priests were allowed to marry, and how homes lacked holy water and crucifixes in the modern day. These comments got Father Wren's thinking. Perhaps Annalise wasn't actually possessed. The conversations the demons were having with the priests talked about going back on changes to the church. If their suggestions were followed, surely it would be detrimental to them. Father Renz fills five bottles. Some were filled with tap water, others with holy water. Every bottle was unmarked, but Annalise managed to point out all the bottles filled with holy water that were placed before her. The experiment wasn't recorded, so we don't know if there were any controls in place to prevent Annalise from having any prior knowledge of the contents of the bottles. Annalise's family stopped consulting doctors as soon as the exorcisms began. Instead, they threw all of their trust in with the priests, fully believing in the power of the exorcisms. Annalise stopped eating altogether eventually, and with lack of nutrition or any medical help, she died on July 1st, 1976. She was found by her mother at 8am. An autopsy was performed, and it was declared that Annalise Michel's cause of death had been advanced emaciation owing to severe malnutrition and dehydration. 
Her teeth were fractured and she had severely bruised limbs from the restraints. Her eyes also appeared to be blackened, which was something visible in the photos taken during the exorcisms. What is strange is that her brain showed no signs of damage from the epilepsy, even when viewed at a microscopic level. Annalise's family believed that she had sacrificed herself for the sins of the youth and that they and the priests believed her to be a martyr. However, the state of Bavaria didn't see it that way. Everyone was questioned and asked why nobody sought medical intervention for Annalise's declining health. Father Alt said that he had never considered Annalise to be dangerously ill and that if he had, he would have called for medical assistance. However, Father Renz said that the exorcism rituals state the clergymen shouldn't burden themselves with medical matters. This was true since the exorcism rites were still the 1614 version, which said nothing about the responsibility of giving medicine, instead stating that priests shouldn't administer medicine themselves and should leave all healthcare to a physician. In this case, there were no medical professionals involved in the exorcisms of Annalise Michel, so there was nobody to administer such care. Everyone involved in the exorcisms was taken to court for negligent homicide. All of them pleaded not guilty. Father Renz even testified that he had written to Bishop Stengel about Annalise's deteriorating condition but had received no response. Bishop Stengel said that neither he nor Father Rodvik had any contact with Annalise or her parents during the exorcisms and weren't aware that she wasn't receiving any medical treatments. The prosecutor in the case said that Annalise's death could have been prevented if anyone had gotten her medical help. He told them that they had to have recognised that Annalise was dying and should have done something. Bishop Stengel and Father Rodvik were not charged with Annalise's death, even though they had a hand in the events leading up to the death. However, Renz and Alt were charged with her death in 1978, sentenced to six months in prison each. The Catholic Church was shaken by their case. It was a nightmare, displaying the holes in their rituals. It displayed how dangerous it could be, especially regarding the blurred line between the responsibility of the priest and the need for medical support. Father Rodvik republished his handbook on exorcism, previously published in 1963 adding a part that explains how important it is for priests to consider medical explanations for possession and reminding them that the exorcist rulebook doesn't say that they can't have medical practitioners on hand during an exorcism. In May 1978, the German Bishops' Conference ruled that in the future, no exorcisms could be performed without a medical practitioner present. However, I can't find such a rule being implemented on a wider basis. When the Exorcist Rulebook was revised in 1999, it expressly stated that anyone who claims to be possessed must be evaluated by doctors to rule out mental or physical illness, suggesting that the church had learned from the mistakes made during this exorcism. As I said at the beginning of this episode, this is one of the most infamous stories of exorcism. Annalise Michel lost her life due to neglect in the course of religious justice.
I saved this story until the last one, because I knew it was a big one. I've seen the pictures, heard the audios, and have known about this story since I was young. It's brutal, heartbreaking, and terrifying at times. And at the centre of it all is a young woman who believed she was possessed, and that it was some kind of penance for the sins of others. I'm going to do something I don't usually, and give you my personal opinion. I truly believe that she was possessed. Maybe not by the people that she named, but by something that inexplicably changed who she was as a person. Enough so that she felt that she must apply force to herself to be able to perform religious rites. As with all the other episodes this week that ended in a death, it shows that sometimes even the best intentions can come with a price. The priests involved in this story really were attempting to help Annalise, but they failed her in the end. Tragedies like this often spur people into motion in order to prevent things like it from happening ever again. In this case, Annalise's death made it so that all German exorcisms must have medical practitioners at all exorcisms, and the Catholic Church integrated medical help in future exorcisms. Over the course of this week, we've seen seven different stories of possession and the subsequent exorcisms of these people. Sometimes they ended well, with people coming out cured. Sometimes the people have died. Whether or not possession is a legitimate thing or not is yours to decide, though. Hopefully, after hearing these stories, you'll have more of an idea of what they are and what happens, so you can decide for yourself. The day this releases is a Tuesday, meaning that the weekly episode actually releases tomorrow. I'll see you there. The information from this episode came from an All That's Interesting article, a Skeptical Enquirer article, a History Defined article, the Reader's Digest book, Mysteries of the Unexplained from 1982, and a New York Times article from 1977. References and links are posted on social media if you want to take a look. The link tree is available in the episode description, so you can go to your preferred social media or listen on your preferred platform. Patreon is still unchanged, with a £3 tier if you want to support me, but I have nothing to put on there yet. Suggestions, personal stories and corrections can be sent through the email in the episode description too. The next episode releases tomorrow, and Creature Features will return on Saturday, so hold on until then. Thank you.